The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk. Happy Tuesday to you. Is it Tuesday? Yeah, it's Tuesday, right? Um, exciting uh, show for you in store. A guest coming up in the second half. First up, uh, got some stuff going on. Uh, let me see. What is going on that I want to tell you about? Oh, I have not been back to the main network at Fox in uh, almost two years. Two years ago, March, when COVID first started. And I'm actually getting on a plane. I'm going to be live on set. I'm going to be co-hosting The Five on Friday. So I hope that you will uh, tune in for that. And uh, you can see all the extra weight that I put on from this lockdown. <laughs> That's not funny. I'm working on it now. Though. I'm working. I'm going in the right direction. Uh, anyway, we've got a lot to talk about. So let's get to it and check what is ripped. Okay, Russian President Vladimir Putin, or Vladimir, as I'm hearing on the radio sometimes, uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, said Moscow is ready for talks with the U.S. and NATO on limits for missile deployments and military transparency. Now, that's a second signal today of a potential tension release in the conflict between Russia and the West over Ukraine. Sidebar, I heard some, uh, you know, foreign policy and Russia experts and wonks um, talking about how the intel community actually heard it was going to happen tomorrow. Now, this is all, you know, complete speculation from an interview of people completely speculating. So don't take that as, you know, I'm saying this is two plus two is four. The rumor is it's going to start tomorrow. And people are also saying it'll be over in a day or two. One of the reasons perhaps the United States is not having military or our allies uh, become militarily involved. <clears throat> but just hours earlier, Russia said it would send home some troops from military exercises and that, uh, you know, have raised fears of the invasion that many people think is uh, forthcoming and something tomorrow. Uh, President Biden addressing the developing situation from the uh, White House in about 30 minutes, actually, uh, speaking after talks with German, uh, actually not 30 minutes, actually, he did it at 1230 uh, Eastern, right? So that would have been, where are we? 1230 Eastern, it would have been couple about 30 minutes ago or something or i don't know i don't know here he already addressed us didn't he uh president biden either addressed or is going to be addressing the developing situation from the white house today because i can't keep my time zone straight uh and i'm not even flying back and forth all the time like i used to that was tough uh to keep my time zone straight then speaking after talks with german chancellor olaf schultz uh putin said that the u.s and nato rejected moscow's demand to keep ukraine and other ex-soviet nations out of nato halt weapons deployments near russian borders and uh roll back thank you very much i was right in 30 minutes the president is making another russia uh, ukraine update thank you marky mark i knew there was 12:30 in my world somewhere even in my own time zone, right? Uh, <clears throat> speaking after talks, like I said, uh, l l let's look at this too. There's a few things. Putin is obsessed with dates. Did you know that? Obsessed with dates. Look back historically. What do all these dates mean? 
It's very interesting. Don't have time to go into it right now. Maybe one day we will too. Hates NATO. Hates NATO, right? He wants ex-Soviet nations out of NATO. Uh, Three, he's always wanted Ukraine. Wanted Ukraine back, if you will. Always, always, right? Always. Like that girl he, you know, fell in love with and couldn't, you know, get up the breakup, get over the breakup of. He wants her, Ukraine, back. Anyway, like I said, Moscow made demands, as you know, to demand uh, to uh, keep Ukraine and other ex-Soviet nations out of NATO, halt weapons deployments um, near the Russian border, and roll back alliance forces from Eastern Europe. Now, they've agreed to discuss some security measures, and those were already suggested by Russia, Russia in the past. So Putin said Russia is ready to engage in talks on limiting the deployment of intermediate-range missiles in Europe, transparency of drills and other confidence-building measures, but emphasize the need for the West to heed their demands, their main demands, okay? Now, in the meantime, Ukraine, their information security center said today that the country's Ministry of Defense and at least two banks had already come under cyber attack, which by the way, if you listen to all the experts, that's what Russia does. Russia does cyber attacks. It's almost like appetizer cyber attacks, right? Main meal, enter, full-on invasion. That's what they've done before. Hopefully, God willing, they won't this time, but that's what it seems to look like again, right? Because they already had two banks and the Ministry of Defense um, come under cyber attacks. What happened then was websites were shut down. And then, of course, Russia has access to Ukrainian information uh, and accounts, kind of KGB-ish, which Putin used to be up, part of. The Ukrainian Center for Strategic Communications and Information Security did not attribute the attacks in an online posting. But it suggested that Russia was responsible. Quote, it is not ruled out that the aggressor used tactics of little dirty tricks because its aggressive plans are not working out on a large scale. That, uh, said the center. By the way, that's part of Ukraine's culture ministry. And they work with the United States, the UK, and NATO officials in Kiev. Who hates NATO? Four-letter word for Russia? (laughs) For Putin? Putin, right? And they continued, during the last four hours, and a few hours, and I quote, Privatop Bank has been under a massive DDoS distributed distributed denial of service attack. Uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, Privet Bank uh, 24 users report problems with payments and the application in general, and some users do not manage to log into that app, Pivot, uh, Privet, excuse me, 24 at all. Others do not have displayed the balance in recent transactions. That's according to the uh, UK, the uh, Ukrainian center's website. Now, it said that the other bank, um, OSHA Bank, also had failures. Internet banking is down. They said the websites of the Ministry of Defense and the armed forces of Ukraine all also attacked. Now, in a statement, Privat Bank said it had managed to eliminate the consequences of the DDoS attack and restore the stable operation of the systems. But U.S. cybersecurity experts are warning that a Russia cyber attack against Ukraine could take many forms, from full-scale takedowns to low-grade distributed denial-of-service attacks like those targeting the banks right now. DDoS attacks disrupt the normal flow of Internet traffic because they overwhelm a target or even its broader network. Now, Russia has used these DDoS attacks in the past, and they have used these attacks prior to some form of military action, and they've done it for more than 10 years. So if it walks like a duck and it quacks like a duck and it's got web feet like a duck, maybe it's a duck? Right. Of course it's Russia. Oh, by the way, if you remember 2008, they did this against Georgia, right? Later, they did it against Ukraine once before. Often they've done 
uh, really prior to more aggressive cyber attacks, um, a way to disrupt communications prior to the invasion. So they got a, a sort of like tiny appetizer, what they're doing now, bigger cyber attacks, you know, and another appetizer. And then, boom, the main meal, the invasion. Now, back in 2008 in Georgia, cybersecurity experts say that the attack on its internet infrastructure began days or weeks before the military from Russia and their incursion with coordinated barrages of millions of DDoS requests and that, that overloaded and shut down the system in the country of Georgia and their servers. The website of then Georgian President Mikhail Shashavili, uh, uh, for instance, it, it was knocked completely out of service for more than a day by multiple DDoS attacks. Just, just make clear, okay? Um, this would be like Canada knocking out American internet and the communications of the president and the White House. Let's rip another. U.S. intelligence officials today accused a conservative financial news website with a significant American readership of amplifying Kremlin propaganda, and they have alleged five media outlets targeting Ukrainians have taken direction from Russian spies. Now, the officials said Zero Hedge. They have about 1.2 million Twitter followers, and, and, and Zero Hedge published articles, officials say, created by Moscow-controlled media that were then shared by outlets and people unaware of their nexus to Russian intelligence. The officials did not say whether they thought Zero Hedge knew of any links to spy agencies. They have not alleged direct links between the website and Russia. Now, Zero Hedge denied the claims. They said it tries to publish a wide spectrum of views that cover both sides of a given story. I agree that because I, I agree with that because I haven't seen just conservative stuff on Zero Hedge. Now, in a response posted online this morning, the website said it has never worked, collaborated, or cooperated with Russia, nor are there any links to spy agencies. That means their lawyer called and told them what to write. In recent months, Zero Hedge has published numerous articles that accuse the U.S. of fomenting panic about Ukraine. Ukraine now does face, face the possibility of invasion. It could be as early as tomorrow uh, by more than those uh, 130,000 Russian troops that are massed on several sides of Ukraine. Now, some of those articles are listed as being written by people affiliated with the Strategic Culture Foundation. Now, the Biden administration sanctioned that foundation last year. Why? They allegedly took part in Russia's interference in our election in 2020. U.S. intelligence ele officials allege the foundation's leaders ultimately take direction from the SVR, the Russian Foreign Intelligence Service, Disinformation, long used by Putin against adversaries, including our country, and as one tool in regional conflicts to accompany cyber attacks and movements of the military. That's what's right for the headlines, part one. Quick break. We'll be back with written headlines, part two. I'm Leslie Marshall. Don't go away. Hey, we're back to you there. Happy Tuesday. I'm Leslie Marshall. After this second half of uh, Rip from the Headlines and after the first half of the show is behind us, uh, after the next break, we're going to have a very special guest joining us. And he comes back because he's been on the show before. Looking forward uh, to talking to him. Stay tuned and stick around to find out who and what we'll be chatting about. But right now, let's check uh, what is continue uh, to uh, check uh, what is ripped from the headlines. The U.S. is poised to see as much of a rise in sea levels through the year 2050 as it has experienced in the past century. 
with additional increases through 2150 or 2150. Now, that is according to a comprehensive new federal report that came out today. So why does this matter to you and me? Many of us will be dead by those dates, right? Well, sea level rise is one of the most tangible present-day effects from human-caused climate change that is being felt in the U.S., with coastal flood events becoming far more common and damaging in just the past few decades. The National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the NOAA, released the report along with about six other federal agencies that play a role in tracking the rise in sea levels. It updates figures from a few years ago in 2017. It takes into account the newest sea level rise projections. It breaks down uh, trends down into different time periods. And then it takes data from tide gauges, satellite instrument, and the latest computer models all incorporated into this report. Now, the report includes extreme water level probabilities for points along our U.S. coastline, and uh, it will be incorporated into the next national climate assessment that is already underway. The assessment projects an additional one, excuse me, 10 to 12 inch increase, okay, 10 inches to a foot increase in sea levels by 2050, higher amounts in some parts of the country due to changes in land height and ocean currents. 2050, we're at what, 2022? That's almost 30 years away. So I could be alive, right? I could still be alive. Yeah, I could still be alive. Uh, many of you, I know Mark. Could. The Eastern Gulf Coast are expected to see a greater rise in sea level than the West Coast, for example. The big picture is that the range of sea level rise at the global, national, and regional levels, well, it's narrowed since 2017. Why? Thanks to improved measures. There's a better, better understanding of polar ice sheets and refinements of computer modeling. The report projects the sea level rise along the, the entire coastline in the U.S. to between 1 and 7 feet in 2100 and compared to 2000 levels, 2.6 to 13 feet by 2150. The range in these projections largely depends on the amount of greenhouse gas emissions and result, uh, in, in the resulting uh, warming. So the report warns that the sea level rise through 2050 will dramatically escalate the frequency and severity of coastal flooding, including so-called sunny day flooding at times of high tide in areas such as Charleston, South Carolina and Miami, Florida. The report says that nationally, a flood regime shift is projected to occur by 2050, moderate high tide flood frequencies to increase by more than a factor of 10 nationally, along with a five-fold increase in major high tide flood frequencies. It notes that significant consequences are in store for coastal infrastructure, absent new efforts to reduce risk exposure. Thank God we have the new infrastructure legislation that passed. Moderate and typically damaging high tide flooding is projected to increase from an average frequency of 0.3 events per year in 2020 to four, not point, to four events per year in 2050, this report finds as well. Um, <clears throat> And minor or nuisance high tide flooding currently becoming the norm in parts of Miami, influencing real estate prices, it's likely to dramatically increase from about three events per year as a national average that we saw back in 2020 to more like 10 events per year. So that's more than three times uh, that type of flooding. Uh, the minor nuisance like flooding that's becoming a growing problem in many communities is likely to become damaging flooding. That's what NOAA oceanographer William Sweet said. And he continued, quote, that extra foot on average or so around the country is just going to reach further inland and grow deeper and more severe. So bottom line, hurricanes are going to be deadlier and cause more damage. 
right? The most extreme sea level rise scenario from their 2017 report, NOAA, showed an increase of eight feet of global mean sea level rise by 2100. And that's no longer considered plausible. It's worse. That's what the new analysis shows. Let's rip another. Today, Remington Arms agreed to a $73 million settlement of liability claims from nine families whose children were victims or family members were victims of the Sandy Hook shooting. That's according to court documents and lawyers for the families. This is why it matters. This is the first time in the United States a gun manufacturer has been held responsible for a mass shooting. Let me repeat that again. This is the first time in our nation that a gun manufacturer has been held responsible for a mass shooting. God willing, there'll be less mass shooting just from this alone. Just from this alone. Driving the news here, families of five adults and four children killed in the shooting at Sandy Hook Elementary School sued the gun maker nearly eight years ago for its marketing practice practices. This is what Remington claimed. Um, it, 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 this is what they claimed Remington did. Quote, recklessly marketed a military-grade gun to civilians, the type of gun used to murder all of those people at Sandy Hook. Now, the plaintiffs in this action, they said, quote, the, the brief said, quote, the plaintiffs in this action hereby give notice that a settlement agreement has been executed between the parties. Now, like I said, it was one of those types of weapons. It was a Bushmaster um, assault rifle, a uh, 15 style rifle that was used in the December 2012 shooting. 20 children killed six adults in the town of Newtown, Connecticut. Uh, this is um, what Francine Wheeler said, referring to her six-year-old son who was killed in the shooting. Francine can be seen on social media raising funds for the Sandy Hook families. Um, quote, Today is not about honoring our son, Benjamin. Today is about how and why Ben died. It is about what is right and what is wrong. Our legal system has given us some justice today, adding that her and her husband, David, will never have true justice. True justice would be our 15-year-old healthy and standing ne and next to us right now, but Benny will never be 15. He will be six forever. Oh, God. <laughs> he will be six forever <clears throat> because he is gone forever. Veronique Posner, whose six-year-old son Noah was killed in the shooting called today an inflection point when our duty of care to our children, such <clears throat> as a society, finally supersedes the bottom line of an industry that made such an atrocity at Sandy Hook po was possible to begin with. Today's a day of accountability for an industry that has thus far been operating with immunity and impunity, and for this, I am grateful. And Joshua Koskoff, an attorney representing the families, added that, quote, he thought the case was about the gun, but it's just as much, uh, much about the greed. Remington's goal was to become a massive, a huge gun company. And, and when you're building that market, uh, marketing was a big part of this case, he said. We're moving on, in essence, from the gun to these other principles of fair dealing, these principles of responsibility. Remington has since filed for bankruptcy. It argued that it manufactured a legal firearm and that the gunman, not the manufacturer, is responsible for it. Let's rip another. News news with the economy. Americans are starting new businesses at a rapid clip. That's a great sign for the economy. By the numbers, 5.4 million applications to start companies in 2021. That's a 53, excuse me, 53% jump from pre-pandemic levels. <laughs> That's according to census data. A third of those classified as high propensity applications. That means they're new businesses that are likely to create jobs. And entrepreneurs, they're not slowing down. 430,000 applications in January. A slew of factors are coming together to create an environment that is ripe 
for entrepreneurship. This small business boom comes after one of the least entrepreneurial decades in our history. It's a Biden boom. I'm Leslie Marshall. That's what's ripped from the headlines. We'll be back with Boom, our guest, right after this. We are back on Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Really excited to have Atiba Madun in Madun, excuse me, I always say his name wrong the first time. I always get it right the second time. Atiba Madun is in the house. Now, Atiba is president and CEO of the Madun Group. They're a government relations firm based in our nation's capital, as well as Party Politics US. Now, they are a data collection firm that not only gathers data from American voters, but also engages with young people to educate them on public policy. He is a contributor for Black News Channel, and he is, uh, by the way, I'm really enjoying that Black News Channel, just to let you know. Awesome. No, I really am. I, I, I just, I, I really, I, I, I'm a channel surfer, and uh, I really enjoy it. I, I think that they, they have a really good program director and news director because um, you know, I'm not hearing a repeat of everything I, ha- uh, I hear and see on different channels. So uh, I like it. Uh, and host of the Chalkboard Conversations podcast. He is also former division, di- division director of the National Black Caucus of State Legislators, as well as the author of the novel Saving Grace. It's available for purchase on Amazon and paperback and Kindle. His website is atibamadyun.com. Let me spell it. A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N.com. On Twitter, at atibamadyun. A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N. Please follow him. Uh, Atiba, thank you for uh, joining us and good to have you with us uh, on this Tuesday. Um, So much uh, uh, to talk about and and thank you. Um, I want to talk about Black History Month, and there's so much to talk about. And to me, it shouldn't just be a month. It should be history. (laughs) But um, it it is a moment, some people would say, you know, a 12th, you know, of our, our year when we can recognize um, how far we as a nation have come with race relations and certainly how far African-Americans have come um, from the terrible way that they arrived in ships uh, with chains uh, separated from their family and uh, treated lower than dogs uh, to uh, this nation. Um, But I think it's also an opportunity for people to talk about, we're going to touch upon this today, with how far we need to go. So um, you are an African-American man. I am not African-American. Um, how, how far have we come? How far do we need to go? I remember when President Barack Obama was elected, I think some people thought, well, racism's behind us and, and, and not true. If anything, the election of Barack Obama and certainly the election of Donald Trump, uh, you know, back, uh, excuse me, uh, prior to prior, prior to, uh, Joe Biden becoming president, I think is showed how racism might have gone under the better in a closet, but it's very much alive and well, sadly in our nation. Yeah, that's a lot. Thank, Leslie, first off, thank you for having me. It's nice to be back with you um, on your show. I love listening to your show and other topics that you cover. And what you just said kind of unpacks a whole lot. So I'm going to try and kind of t- take it from here. Um, one of my favorite quotes from Muhammad Ali is, I'm America. Um, and he talks about his skin color. He talks about his religion, his name, not, not yours. My religion, not yours. Get used to me. And when we have in America, you know, when you talk about slavery and we talk about, I know over the summer, there were a lot of conservative talk shows and podcasts that wanted to have me on talk about critical race theory. Didn't really realize what was happening. And what they were doing is creating this echo chamber, this echo chamber to to try to, you know, continue this, uh, this idea of whitewashing history. 
And then there are a lot of liberals and a lot of others who felt that they had to attack that, and rightfully so. But the reality is, history was whitewashed the moment that the first slaves came onto this this land, to, to the United States. Um, we were whipped and taken, our, our names were taken away, which is what Ali was talking about in that quote. We were whipped away or stripped away from our families, from our culture, from our history, from our origin, all of it. And when we talk today, we hear a lot of Republicans talk about sex trafficking. I personally, I have to laugh because what was slavery if it wasn't sex trafficking? What was slavery if it wasn't taking children and, cre and creating unfair, just uh, labor to put them under, you know, working out in the fields? Slavery is really the impetus to create American capitalism. And what we see today when we keep hearing about wage inequality, we keep hearing about gender inequality, a lot of that was studied under slavery. That what we see today is it playing out, but across the country. When people talk about Barack Obama being elected president, the reality is that the racist culture within this country became afraid because they recognized that this idea of becoming a more perfect union was about electing someone who might not be white was about putting someone in the president's house or the plantation house or the White House that wasn't a white man. And so, you know, when we saw what happened in 2016 with Trump's election, it wasn't just a referendum in terms of some people saying that they didn't want to see a black man living in the president's house. It was also saying that they didn't want to see a white woman living there either. So a lot of this and what we see the, the culture and what we keep seeing is that, to be honest, and call me incorrect, but it's a white male insecurity complex that we see this this face in this country. One where people don't want to see a black woman on the Supreme Court. People don't want to see history taught in a way because it's a guilt complex and there's issues in these people's tissues that they don't want to have to confront. Because if we really address the issues that are going on in this country today, this country would not only become a better place, it would become a more prosperous place. It would be a better example for the rest of the world to look at in terms of how we all live together uh, when we're all different races and cultures and creeds and et cetera, et cetera. But instead, there's still this, this impetus, this minority of people who want to hold on to power because they believe that by letting it go and sharing power means that they won't have the same things that they've had. And no, and they won't. But it's about shared prosperity, in my opinion. And so this idea of racism and what we keep seeing within the culture it's one of insecurity, and we don't talk enough about it like that. We keep talking about it from a racist standpoint, but it's really, in my opinion, it's insecurity. Fear, right? Fear that, you know, people say the closer that whites uh, come to being a minority, what is it, 2050 or 2054, depending on, you know, what chart you look at, um, you know, they're, they're afraid that, you know, they won't be, you know, the majority. Uh, let's talk about that. You've said so much, and, you know, I have like 25 questions in my head, and we're not going to get to all of them, and I'm not going to remember all of them. So, um, yesterday, I live in Los Angeles, and I'm a New England Patriots fan because I'm from Boston, but I, I I rooted over the weekend for the L.A. Rams because I live in L.A. And I remember all this stuff coming out. I'm going to give you a few, okay, and I want to talk to you about this. I was talking actually um, to uh, one of the women who does my hair is African-American about this because I was getting her take. I said, as an African-American female, I want your take. So it's going to be interesting when we're talking about black history. Uh, New York Post shows Snoop Dogg smoking pot before <laughs> – before um, the uh, Super Bowl halftime show. Anybody who knows Snoop Dogg got to laugh because that's like part of his shtick, if you will. Also, I had to laugh because it's legal in California. 
It's like, why aren't we showing pictures of white men drinking beer before the Super Bowl? Somebody smoking a cigarette or vaping, right? Also, somebody was saying he's wearing Crips gang colors. I'm like, he's wearing the L.A. Rams colors. Duh. You know, Uh, people talking about Mary J. Blige and that she was dressed inappropriately. Yet a blonde Dallas Cowboy cheerleader with a butt hanging out of her little, you know, bottoms. That's okay. Um, Somebody else posted, and I thought it was fairly accurate. All 55-year-old white men didn't like the halftime show. Um, And I say that because coming back to what you said, I said fear. You said ignorance, right? Insecurity. Um, Insecurity, excuse me, not ignorance. It is ignorance too, right? But uh, insecurity. (laughs) Um, Is is that, that's what tied up? They're, They're, you know, they can handle one Beyonce, right? They can handle like, you know, the brown girls, J-Lo and Shakira. But, oh, my God, you got a whole bunch of black people. And then they're, you know, Eminem, who they consider black, right? I, I mean, is is that what it is? Is it the inse- insecurity and fear that you guys are taking over? I mean, what is what is this? Where is this coming from? I know, I mean, historically where it comes from. But, I mean, now, where is this coming from? Speak to this. What are they afraid of with critical race theory? Why are they afraid our children know the truth? I, I grew up in Massachusetts. I learned lies about Thanksgiving. I'm glad I know the truth. It's not pretty. You know what, what's happened to the Native Americans? It's not pretty what happened to African Americans. Oh, we got to talk after this break. We got to take a break. When I come back, I'm going <laughs> to shut up and let you talk. But I want to talk about literature being banned. I want to talk about critical race theory and that Super Bowl halftime show. Why people were so angry about a bunch of go- people up there who overcame such great obstacles in their lives. And look how many jobs were created on that field. We'll be back right after. Mother, mother, there's too many of you crying. Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. One of my you favorite songs, certainly one of my favorite Marvin Gaye songs. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Atiba Madhun is our guest, president and CEO of the Madhun Group, government relations firm based out of our nation's capital, as well as Party Politics U.S., a data collection firm that not only gathers data from voters, but also engages with young people to educate them on public policy. His website is Atiba Madhun, A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N.com. On Twitter, his handle is at Atiba Madhun, A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N. Please follow him. Uh, Atiba, thank you for holding. Welcome back. I said a lot for the break. I'm going to be quiet. Let you say a lot because there is so much to say with this. Critical race theory, book banning, the hoopla and uproar over the halftime show at the Super Bowl. Is this all racism or is it all just insecurity or is it both? It's. I feel like we're going back to... um, and I even feel like I think there are a lot of other people who agree with me that we've gone back to Nazi Germany. We've gone back to the xenophobia and racism and, and gender inequality of the first part of the, the 20th century. It, and a lot of what we're seeing, even when we're talking about was seeing what's going on in Russia with Ukraine, there's so many different parts of history, along with the pandemic, that are repeating itself. So where we are now in terms of, you know, to me, Woodrow Wilson is, was Trump today. What we see today um, on the stage, though, at the Super Bowl on Sunday with people 
with Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre and Eminem, um, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick Lamar, all of that was America. 50 Cent, right, yeah. was America. So I got this quote, and the quote that I started off in the first segment was about Muhammad Ali, and the quote is, I am America. I am the part you won't recognize, but get used to me. Black, confident, cocky, my name, not yours. My religion, not yours. My goals, my own, get used to me. That was Muhammad Ali, you know, someone who stand up to the, stood up to the United States government when he decided he was not going to enter the draft and go into Vietnam. You know, these pieces that we keep seeing of history re keep repeating themselves where we continue to have to fight against the government and against oppression. So we keep hearing about voter suppression that's going on across the country. We got into this situation, though, because people stopped voting. But people stopped voting because they kept voting for people they keep feeling as if they get into office and they don't hold their promises. Mm. So, you know, this is Black History Month where we're talking about Black History Month and we can talk about Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Frederick Douglass, and we can go on and on and on with these long lists. We can see Republicans continue to quote X, Y, and Z, you know, saying, oh, this is Black history. But yet they want to erase the parts that make them look bad. The parts about the whipping, the parts about the raping, the parts about why my skin color, for instance, is lighter than somebody else's who may come straight from Africa because you tiptoed into my great, great, great grandmother's bed and you raped her. I mean, that's that's just the reality. They don't want to hear that. So when you want to talk about throwing away books, think about the books that were getting burned in Germany. When you want to talk about people, for instance, trying to come into America because what we keep doing across the border is hurting other people so they have no choice but to try to get into a country where they think there's more prosperity. Yet, what we don't have is the story that comes out of America that really shows that a great deal of people here in this country are poor. And when we're talking about Black History Month, look at how many Black people go, young people go to college and come out with student debt and they never are able to get out of that debt. When you look at what's going on in the country from a policy standpoint, and when we look at voter oppression or voter suppression that's going on, protecting the democracy is supposed to be a sign of patriotism. Yet Eminem is being, you know, talked about because he took a knee during the. But, you know, it always amazes me when Tim Tebow took a knee for his beliefs. Everybody got over Colin Kaepernick. Colin Kaepernick didn't like burn down a stadium or anything. He 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 was respectful. And quiet. Some people, I don't even think, I mean, look, if you're an attention whore, that's not how you do it. And I know a lot of them, you know. So for for you know, for people to go crazy over that, you know, it's so funny. Seriously, I was talking to a group of people, and whether they were black or white, this is what I heard. One, I thought that was just the end of his set, like Mary J. Blige went back on the stage <laughs> and everything went down, right? Another person said, right. Oh, I thought he was just on his knee because Dr. Dre was at the piano behind him. And you got to respect Dr. Dre. Dr. Dre found him, discovered him, produced him, made him who he is, that he was respecting and getting down for the, right. you know, the shot to Dr. Dre, not to upstage Dr. Dre. It was like, and then the third thing was like, oh, that's why he's kneeling. I swear it was almost like the critics of it were more cognizant, you know, were more aware of it but the, than but the a lot of people who were fans of the music watching the show. But he took a knee and Colin Kaepernick took a knee and other players took a knee to point attention to the social injustices that have been going on with police brutality. What we go back to slavery and we see where the police officers even come from, it was the slave patrollers that were supposed to keep blacks in line to keep them from escaping. The whole thing is that this country is predicated on this idea of freedom, 
yet it continues yes. to obstruct and to keep people from being able to have that freedom. James Baldwin said, to be a Negro in America is to be in a rage almost all of the time. It's not just black people in America that are in a rage. It's everyone, it's poor whites, it's, it's, it's so many people that are faced with this, and it's a small minority of people that continue to make it difficult for the majority of people to, to find a prosperity. And then we see other people come into the country and we think that they're trying to take something from us when the reality is we have someone like a Jeff Bezos who creates a rocket that looks, everybody knows what it looked like. Um, it's almost kind of like a middle finger up to us. And we continue to support these things, myself included, because Amazon is real easy to get to and ship yeah. stuff. But that's all predicated into this idea, what I said about how capitalism it was all formulated and created from the, from the idea of slavery. The other thing is with the Eminem thing, NFL knew about it. Uh, the halftime show had been rehearsed many times, and he did told him not to do it. They told him not to do it, but they knew about it. Uh, then they said we didn't say not to do it. So, uh, and the NFL has its own issues with race. I want to go back to something you said about um, people voting for people, electing people, and elected officials getting into office and not doing what they promised. And this comes back to the Supreme Court justice uh, nominee. President Biden said when he campaigned, if he were elected president, he would have, um, uh, he, he was going to choose at one point, a female VP, right? You know, um, and, you know, he did. He, he said that if he became president, he was going to, if a spot became available, which it is now in the Supreme Court, he was going to nominate an African-American female. People go crazy. However, Ronald Reagan said that he was going to nom nominate a woman. People didn't go crazy. Who did Clarence Thomas replace? A black man. People didn't go crazy. Um, and it wasn't forecasted. And, and I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, some people call it affirmative action or, you know, some people say it's not fair. But I think it is fair because I think our court, um, yes, we want the best um, judges on the court, on the bench, the highest court in the land, but we also want it to be a reflection and a representation of the people of this nation. And black women <laughs> need to be represented on that court. Yeah, white men are afraid of, of, of a reckoning that's coming, regardless of whether or not they fight it or not, it's coming. And that reckoning is, and you can call me incorrect, but that reckoning is the fact that for so long, their issues are still in their tissues. And it goes back to slavery. It goes back to the guilt complex. It goes back to the guilt of raping black women. It goes back to the guilt of ripping the children from, from her arms. It goes back to the ripping the families, all of it. It's a guilt complex. And we'll never move forward as a country until we really reconcile and we really have a real national conversation and one that's gonna be hurtful. And in some ways, there may be some things that may be said about black people that are hurtful. But until we have this real genuine conversation, we're not going to move forward as a country. You know, I've said this before, and I don't think I've said it to you. Um, I did my undergrad at Northeastern University, and one of my professors uh, taught a class called Sociology of Prejudice. His name is Jack Levin. And in one of the classes, we were separated into groups. He had picked the groups, and he specifically picked the groups the way he picked them. Um, in my group there, um, I'm white and female, and I'm half Jewish. Um, another woman, Rosie from the Bronx, African-American. Another guy, Greek, uh, another person, Asian, another person, Muslim. The first meeting of our group was to call each other every derogatory term we knew for that person. And people were upset. People walked out. And, and the reason why it was like, OK, now that we got that out of the way, 
let's have mm-hmm. this conversation. Because mm-hmm. like what you said is, you know, you're going to have hear some hurtful things, hurtful things about white people, hurtful things about black people, because you can't have that conversation if that elephant's you know, still in the room. So to your point, I agree with you uh, 100%. We have less than 60 seconds. I want to give you that last 60 seconds to say uh, what you want to say yeah. in our discussion about Black History Month. I, I just want to say to our to our listeners, all of us have a responsibility to seek out people to have conversations that we disagree with. This country is not going to get any better if we can only try to find those conversations that we feel comfortable in. And I think that the better angels or the better sources of, of who we are as a people and who we are supposed to be as a country about becoming a more perfect union, it has to happen where we have these conversations with people who are politically divided, people who don't agree, don't people who may not think that I deserve to be sitting where I, I sit. But we're not going to get anywhere if we don't start having those type of conversations, because the way that we're going right now, we're just going to burn the whole thing down. I agree with you. Thank you for being with us. Everybody, like I said, you got to check out his website. You got to follow him on Twitter. Atiba Madhun, at Atiba Madhun on Twitter, A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N. And also his website, atibamadhun.com, A-T-I-B-A-M-A-D-Y-U-N. Oh, pick up his book. You can get it in paperback or on Kindle. It's called Saving Grace. It's a great read. And you'll learn something as well. Why not enjoy but educate at the same time? I'm Leslie Marshall. Thank you, Mark Markwald, executive producer. We'll be back with you next time around here on the Leslie Marshall Show. Have a great day. Oh, it went from 80 degrees to 50 overnight. Wow. All of you Easter's sending your bad karma my way. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, have a good one, everyone. Thank you. Have a good one, Leslie.